Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And we're on the eve of the 2024 season. So before we get into all of the happenings with the new players and the new teams and previewing the NBA season, we'll do that next week, Cody. We'll we'll take some time. We'll take a few minutes and just lay out the landscape of the league. But before we did that, there is one item of business we never got to over the summer that we have to finish. Last year, we looked at the greatest outside shooters in the three-point era. We could go back farther, but uh, further? We could go back further. Uh, but further? Yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah. Farther, farther, farther is distance. Further yes. is like Degree. the metaphysical. Yes. Destroy, I'm glad yeah. we covered that on the show. Those are important. Uh, <laughs> but we could have gone back further, but we, we run out of data. We don't have a three-point line that helps us kind of try to calibrate what we're seeing with our eyes or measuring from the free throw line. And in this case today, Cody, we have even less data, but we do have some ways to estimate and support what we see on tape. And we are going to talk about the players who are the best rim finishers in NBA history. So we have this outside concept that we've hit, and I've just been wanting to come back and talk about the the high real estate, you know, the other high real estate part of the court in today's game. Let's call it inside five feet. Conceptually, I'll blur the line just a touch if you're running down the lane and, you know, do a 360 layup and scoop it from five and a half feet or something like that. But a lot of dunks, a lot of power, a lot of speed, a lot of vertical explosion. The the exciting highlight plays of so much of basketball, the rim finishers. And I, I got to tell you, just from trying to figure this out, looking at actual data, building models to estimate data, that doesn't matter. Like, there's a ton going on here, and um, I'm not sure uh who who i don't don't know what to do do you want to do you want to talk a little bit like at all about how the sausage is made here because i I find a difficulty here is you know play-by-play stats go back to like the 2001 season and before that you really it's tough to find data except for maybe like some random games or random seasons to find rim finishing statistics in terms of like field goal percentage and stuff like that so what's the way that you went about uh estimating how people shot at the rim, let's say, in like the 90s or 80s. Well, the short of it is you can get a kind of decent estimate for a lot of players where you can get an idea of roughly how many shots they're shooting close to the basket versus on the perimeter uh, based on all kinds of factors like height and free throw percentage and three-point percentage and uh, rebounding numbers. And I'm trying to even think of, there's probably some other indicators in there that are proxies for athleticism. Oh, and another big one, which is tied to these rim finishing numbers is free throw attempts. Because most players, by and large, for the history of the game, when they rack up free throw attempts, it's around the basket. It's defenses contesting those really, really high value shots, layups, breakdowns at the rim, things like that. There are some players that draw more fouls from the perimeter that does happen Um, and so that can you know skew a a general estimate model or something like that but and i would also say by the way that that happens more i think in in the last couple years with the changes in officiating you get more free throws coming from the outside but those are all the things that like kind of help you the the rim numbers we have for the last quarter century the free throw uh the free throw numbers the field goal percentage that a player shoots knowing that he didn't live on the outside. I mean, we know Shaquille O'Neal did not shoot the ball 
from outside of 10 feet. So when you look at Shaq's stats, you're like, oh, oh my God. Uh, he shot a lot of free uh, field goals near the hoop and his percentage was pretty high or whatever. Um, and in fact, in Shaq's case, he came into the league before we have official data and then he had his peak and his best years when we do have official data. So all that to say, all that is to say, Cody, like we know a bunch of numbers, but I'm not sure how much the numbers help us here because there's so many different perspectives to take, which is what kind of blew my mind. Uh, and you often hear this. You often hear like Kyrie Irving is the greatest rim finisher ever. It's like, no, maybe it's Steph Curry. And then Cody will come out of the woodwork and be like, have you guys seen Steve Nash's, you know, like trick shots around the bath, like throwing hooks at people at 75% as a point guard. I don't know sort of how to corral this. So I think I want to talk through what we mean when we say the best rim finishers and where that actually comes up in a game, because I think that's the most valuable part of the conversation for me today. It's just going through and looking and saying like, is this something that comes up when your back is to the basket, when you're posting up? Is this something that is primarily about slashing from the perimeter, uh, coming off a screen and, and you know driving downhill into extra defenders? Is it about making defenders miss? with your ball handling and getting them out of the way and, and sort of moving into space and taking a high percentage shot? Is it about being away from the basketball and catching and finishing in the pick and roll situation like your Carl Malone? Is it about catching lobs near the basket like your Anthony Davis? Like, like what are all the components here that make up this thing when we talk about, hey, this guy's a great finisher? That's where I was really stuck on when I was when I was prepping for this because I was thinking of some of the guys that like they get to the basket they finish really well but then what was really like that was holding me back getting me stuck in mud Ben where my wheels were just like spinning and not going anywhere is some of the guys that are really good at blowing by somebody getting to the rim drawing attention maybe even finishing through contact finishing around people aren't necessarily guys that are going to add rim value in other positions like somebody that's able to do that isn't necessarily going to be like you know get a backdoor cut and then throw down a lob or something like that or come off a pick and roll and throw down a lob like they're not going to add that sort of value or even grab an offensive rebound and put that back so like it's weird to take some of these guys that i'm considering for this and being like all right i'm not going to consider any of these guys because they don't have these other elements of it so like you said that's where i was really getting caught up here and i think maybe talking about the categories themselves is probably more valuable maybe we can come up with a couple like composite who are just the all-around best finishers but i think doing that is is more or less fruitless because there's just so many different kinds of finishing yeah i mean i think a a guiding principle for me anytime we try to break something down like this and then uh you know do everyone's favorite thing and try to make lists uh, i i think is the value of what you're actually doing on the court is something that i always want to start with so your point about putbacks is is so kind of important because it's like if you are an incredible penetrator great ball handler let's let's go back to i think i mentioned steph curry like you have great touch around the basket you can kiss it off the glass with either hand you make some of these incredible finishes the thing is once you get like one or two other human nba bodies in the paint steph curry is almost never going to be able to grab a rebound under the basket, even if he gets that rebound, like even if he's able to grab it with the two other bodies there and then go up and score with any kind of proficiency or value. So when he's finishing at the rim in that position, just like most small players, 
He has very, very little value. Medium-sized players probably are in the middle of the bell curve. They have like typical value. And a lot of times it's your big men, big, powerful, strong, athletic big men, like your your friend in Milwaukee, Giannis, like he gets an offensive rebound. And does he does he have to jump to dunk it? No, that's Victor Wembenyama who doesn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. He just sticks his hand back in the hoop and it's two <laughs> points. So it's like these things exist on sort of the opposite end of not only the sexiness spectrum, you know, you don't think about like a big man just getting an offensive rebound and casually putting it back in. But um, it's not even something that maybe you're aware of as a fan. You don't you don't give it much thought. This idea of like, well, throwing it to Clint Capella after James Harden has done all the work, you still have a gradient of finishing ability in that situation. I think about Nash playing in Dallas and passing it to some of those guys and then Nash going to Phoenix and passing it to Amari Stoudemire. And it's just so clear, the, the, the situations he catches it in, moving downhill at like 10 feet are identical to some of the situations the Mavericks players catch in. And then he's got moves that they don't have. He's got athleticism they don't have. He has finishing ability that they don't have. So how do you, you know, capture all that? I don't know, but I think it's such a great orienting thought for me to think about, okay, the lob is an area you can do this. The catch and finish is an area you can do this. The offensive rebound, the post game, but also all of the, to your point, cutting the backdoor stuff, all of the slashing, all of the dribble penetration. You get there in so many different ways, but at the end of the day, we want to know that you can provide value because if you're a ball handler and you and you dribble down the lane, if you're Muggsy Bogues, it's like the defense isn't really going to do that much to you if they're not concerned about your your finishing. Whereas with LeBron James, they're calling timeout and they're like, "Here's the deal: you cannot let him get in the lane. That's it's like it's too late at that point. He's too big, too strong, too fast. So I think that's what we're going to try to kind of sort through here in today's show. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think the other thing that makes this really interesting is the conversation about skill, right? Because you kind of just touched on it with the lob threat thing, where when people talk about the best finishers, they want to make it a completely skill-based thing, right? Like, again, you're dribbling, you're reaching into your bag, you're breaking some ankles, you go up, you draw a defender, and all of a sudden you're going under, and then you... I'm, I'm thinking like, like, the, like the Michael Jordan, yeah. like, Nets layup, where he's just like, pa, pa, like ball, and then ball, finishes. Ball skills combined with athletic sort of feats right yeah yeah exactly and pe- people like that but then like you know you said Giannis already so I'll bring him up again I-, I think James Harden literally had like a like a presser once where he was like Giannis doesn't have a bag 
But like, it doesn't actually matter because in terms of skill, it's like what value are you bringing to the court? And if you're making like Stan Van Gundy tell his team to build a wall to stop you, like it doesn't matter if it's quote unquote skill, like whatever it is, you're getting to the rim and you're finishing well. And I know Rudy Gobert comes up a lot in like in terms of his offensive value. because It's like, oh, Rudy Gobert can't uh, catch the ball. He doesn't have like a jump shot past like 15 feet and blah, blah, blah. But like he's also 7'2". And he's a lob threat, and he can put back shots really easily. So it's not; it doesn't matter that it's not skilled in the same sense of like what Steph Curry's doing. But it's adding value in the finishing ability because other people aren't able to do what he's able to do at seven two. So think about it in terms of like value on the court versus skill on the court. With all that said, let's let's start with the slashers. Let's start let's start with the guys who have the ball skill, who are putting pressure on the rim because of their ability to get into the paint and finish even though they're small um anyone sort of in this category come to mind right away and of course you know you you know some of the numbers you've looked at the actual volume which i think is a huge thing for me when i think about this and then the efficacy of the players finishing can i actually start on a negative note i i I have two names ben that I was shocked to see were lower than expected when I was looking them up. Right. That, so it's like strangely a positive note because you're saying you think they're very good, but their numbers are lower than you think. Who are they? I, I think like especially if you go to the highlights, you're like, these are two of the best finishers ever. And then you take it back to the to the numbers and you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? Uh Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady, Ben. Oh, like, yeah, these are two guys that you go back and you look at some of their rim finishing abilities and like Vince Car- you think about like Air Canada era Vince Carter and the dunks he has and Tracy McGrady's like the 6'8 6'9 forward who's going up a number uh, up and under there's no M and under uh doing like the 360s going against Vince Carter and the dunk cons it's like these are some of the best finishers ever but the numbers just they really don't bear it out and honestly that's probably that was probably the most shocking takeaway of anything I found it's like wow I expected these two guys to be higher on my list and I just couldn't I couldn't even get them close to anywhere with it it's it's a little surprising um because for these great years, these dunk dunk contest highlight years, the early 2000s with McGrady and Carter, where we have uh, really clean play-by-play data on, on the best site ever, playbyplaystats.com, um, the, none of, neither of them are really ever above league average in rim field goal percentage. So you can look at the entire league's efficiency at the rim. They define it as inside three feet. Like I said, I'm, I'm flexible. You want to talk about four feet, five feet. It's all, it's all the same. You're trying to finish around the basket to me. Um, but they're just about below average every single season. Their volume also isn't super high. If you're thinking about like per 36 minutes, it's what, five attempts per 36 minutes, six attempts per 36 minutes, stuff like that. And then, of course, those guys are not getting a ton of easy assisted setup field goals by their teammates. So most of the statistical sample you're looking at is like, or at least a good deal, is like them taking someone off the dribble, getting into the paint, trying to finish into traffic. And a lot of small slashers and guards have a hard time generating really, really high percentage field goal percentage. I think the surprising thing here is they're not that small. They still are wings. They still take a lot of outside shots, but given their athletic profile, um, I think it is a little bit surprising to me that both those guys have such weak field goal percentage numbers at the basket. 
Yeah. So, okay. Let's get those out of the way. I don't want to dwell on that. Let's let's throw out somebody that, you know, I remember mid-2000s, later in the 2000s, brought up all the time. The highlights were incredible. A smaller player in stature. Not somebody who's above the rim. Ben, I'm talking about Mr. Tony Parker. Oh, wow. Tony Parker. Uh, just incredible ability to get into the paint. This is where it gets blurry because, like, Tony Parker has such a floater game, right, from just outside this area that we talk about from like that five to 10 foot in between lane uh, just scored so many points in the paint. But then at the rim, he was also, he, he didn't have the volume that I think I really, really want. We talk about guards having lower volume. I think he's usually peaking. Well, actually his volume is pretty good. His volume for a guard is like six to seven attempts per 36. So that's really good. And then Always above league average. Always above league average, especially in the early 2000s. Has some seasons where he's like 5 to 6% above league average. And I think he has one year where he's way above it. Is that right? I think so. It's like, is yeah. it 2007? 2006, I think. He's like plus 10 relative to the league. So all that like twisting, speed, bending, scooping, finishing stuff that he has around the hoop. Uh, your eyes are not deceiving you. It, it, was, it was quite effective. And he had, you know, he had a lot of different tricks going to the basket that I really liked about him. You know, he could finish in both hands. What I liked is he wouldn't necessarily get into a post-up, but he'd get into, like, the spin cycle thing, like, dribble down to the paint, and then just kind of, like, twist around until he's able to finish. And I think the twisting, contorting sorts of layups was what he was special at. Wrong-footing people, I think he was particularly good at going off on, like, the right foot and finishing with the right hand and just jumping off in really awkward uh, angles. And, again, just the fact that this is a guy that... I don't know. Does he have 10 dunks in NBA games to his name? Like, I don't think so. I don't think he's dunked 10 times in his NBA career. And, uh, you know, he's also not just like floating to the rim either. Just, you know, an incredible finisher for somebody that's his height. And I know, like you said, the volume and the percentages probably don't compete with some of the other guys we'll bring up. But for somebody that doesn't have that uh, vertical athleticism or strength or height, I think it's pretty incredible what he was able to pull off as a driver. Well, part of that, though, is how much is he getting out in transition? Because he's like a one-man fast break. So, you know, what percentage of his statistical sample that you're marveling at comes from three-on-twos, two-on-ones, four-on-twos, things like that, where he can push it and you don't have that traffic of the same era that, you know, other players who can't get out in transition have to deal with the Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady uh, conundrum that you mentioned. Like, maybe they just didn't get out in transition month much. We know Tony Parker was essentially a one-man fast break in San Antonio. I think that's an interesting thing that immediately comes to mind. I don't know how to handle that. Yeah, I was going to say, don't shouldn't we give that to him? Like, if transition is such an efficient shot and he's able to blow by people and if it's like a three-on-two or whatever else and he's able to finish there, like, I feel like that should bump him a little bit. I think the transition game, not like a huge factor in it, but I think it should be kind of part of the conversation. Yeah, it feels like it should be kind of part of it because where else is he going to use that speed but to get to the basket? And transition is part of basketball. And if you can get to the basket in a more efficient manner and finish more efficiently, I suppose... What I mean, you're not going to give him that credit when you're talking about outside shooting. You're going to talk about it mm-hmm. when you're you know, getting to the rim and getting these high-value shots and finishing well. I, it does bring up a philosophical conundrum to me, Cody, is when we talk about these guards, and I want to ask you about a few more small ones. Like, Do we give you credit in this conversation for moving your guys out of the way 20 feet away from the hoop? I mean, in today's game, there's so much space. If you're John Morant and you can cross someone over at the foul line and no one's there... 
you're going to have really good rim finishing numbers, but that is a function of your ball handling and your change of direction and your tempo and everything else, uh, using angles and blowing by people away from the rim and not just like five feet away from the rim in some cases, like out near the three-point line. How, how, how do you balance that? How do you feel about that? Are you saying, how do I feel about incorporating like these other kinds of dribble moves into one's finishing? Yeah, because I think it connects to the transition sort of philosophical question about, you know, if you're doing your work, if transition and Tony Parker's advantage in transition starts in the backcourt, an extension of that here is in the modern game, if you have a ton of spacing Mm -hmm. and you can blow by a guy at the three-point line and it's hard for people to come help, you know, how much of that is what we're thinking of as quote-unquote finishing skills versus some other thing, your ball handling and the threat of your shot springing you for a drive that's relatively uncontested. Do How do we feel about uncontested finishes? How do we feel well, about that? Well, weirdly enough, I think this connects to what I said about Rudy Gobert a little bit earlier. It's like, I don't care. Like, if you're generating easy shots at the basket for yourself, and part of that has to do with the ability for you to get there, I think I'm going to give you credit for your your finishing ability. Because, like, functionally, if you can't get to the basket and showcase your finishing ability, like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Right. It's like somebody who's like, oh, this is the best three point shooter because if he stands in the quarter, he shoots X percentage. It's like, yeah, but how does he shoot coming off pin downs and how does he shoot taking step backs? And he doesn't because he doesn't have those skills. You're just not as good of a three point shooter. So, you know, I think it matters pretty significantly because that's where you're going to be generating a lot of those shots at the rim, especially when we're talking about these smaller guards. Okay, so in this case, are we saying that the value matters. The value matters in transition. The, ma- the, ma- the value matters with your ball handling at the three-point line, et cetera, et cetera. But we have to balance that with your diversity, right? We have to, mm-hmm. we have to say it counts that you make a bunch of corner threes, Bruce Bowen. But we also know that you don't have the ability to come off screens, hit it from the top, hit it from the dribble. Is that kind of how we're thinking about this? Yeah, exactly. You have to do a little bit of mental calculus. And with the transition thing, I'm okay to concede that that's not a huge component, but I do think it is a component. Okay. Um, John Moran. How do you feel about how do you feel about that? How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, no, that sounds right to me. I don't know how to balance it, though, in my head. I don't know how to move the sliders. I do think there should be some mental curving. Um, okay. I, I do think... The spirit, so I said value as a guiding principle, but like the spirit of the question and why people ask it can also be a guiding principle, right? Because you don't want to have a definition that is just not functional for other people. Uh, So I think when people talk about rim finishing, that's where I get a little concerned if, if you're creating a ton of value with like your ball handling or your speed in the backcourt, let's say it created a huge, huge amount of value, then, then I would think let's partition that off and talk about some let's talk about ball handling value let's talk about transition speed value or something like that but in in the in the current situation i think balancing it probably makes sense okay yeah okay so then uh, what are your, you were about to say and what are your thoughts on john moran well i was gonna say he's he's very interesting because in 2022 He's got pretty good numbers for a small guard. He's up near nine rim attempts per 36, which is uh, awesome. We'll talk in a second. It's a good segue to talk about like who the, the greatest volume rim guys are and what that means to be able to generate so many relatively high percentage shots at the hoop. Uh, he was above league average in that category in 2022. Just for perspective, that was a 67% shot for John Morant. So 
we are talking about league averages that are high because this is the highest real estate area on the court. And Cody, the thing that isn't trivial is getting those shots, generating those shots. So if you're, whether you're a big man and you root yourself down there, or whether you're a guard and you can carve your way in, um, getting a ton of those shots, I think, is super, super important. And then for some of these guards, like, okay, you're around league average. We talked about Tony Parker, spectacular for a guard being three, four, five percent. He has that one year where he's like 10% ahead of league average. Um, the shot's really efficient. So high volume, like jaw, and then slightly above league average, 67% in his case is great. The thing is, his surrounding seasons are are not as great. His surrounding mm-hmm. seasons are much closer to 60%, which is what you would kind of see these days from a more typical guard that doesn't really excel at finishing at the hoop. So I don't entirely know what to make of that. That honestly, uh, that shocks me a little bit. As somebody like out of these point guards, just one of the all time, like rise up and I'm going to throw it down from, you know, 10 feet away. It doesn't matter who's in my way. So I don't know if it's like, you know, because he goes for the dunk like a lot. Like he really wants to posterize people. I don't know if that's actually throwing off his ability to to finish. I don't know if it's him trying to get like super high and not like looking for the angles. But uh, I expected that number to be higher. But, you know, also in terms of like comparing him and Tony Parker, uh, he's definitely more of like a lob threat kind of guy. I don't know how much that matters. But if he's cutting to the rim and Tony Parker's cutting to the rim, it's easier to, you know, get John Morant an easy shot there. So I think that athleticism, again, feeds into it a little bit into his value but uh overall i don't i don't know how i'd be able to put him above someone like tony parker yeah it's interesting it goes back to your value skill points because morant i think has more highlights more dunks and bendiness and sort of like malleability in the air and um you know maybe crazy euro steps at the basket and things but parker uh first of all the way that guy used his pivot foot near the hoop and like did those little up and unders and twists and spins and reverses. And he had a thing that may come up with some other players. He had a really quick release. So it's not as sexy as a dunk, but what happens is you're getting that shot off before the shot blocker gets it. And you're, and in his case, you're ripping off like a 60 or 65% shot. And I think that is the, the real essence of who the best rim finishers are like just going in, going inside and creating Super high, efficient offense. Speaking of these kinds of guards, Russell Westbrook. Mm. Incredible ability to get in the paint and pressure the rim for most of his career. Here's my question. Uh, What year do you think he took the most shots at the rim per 36, per minute? The rate of shots. When do you think it was the highest? What year of his career? Part of me... I wish we had, like, Jeopardy music right now. I, can I can you like, use Jeopardy music? Is that allowed? Some kind of music. Yeah, I don't want to get sued or anything. Or, <laughs> I don't know if there's, like, a Jeopardy, like, group, a cabal of Jeopardy listeners that goes to every podcast and they listens for it. They report you, yeah. That would be a sweet job. Yeah. I, okay, so, like, I have a couple thoughts. I want to say it's, like, a younger Westbrook, but part of me also thinks it could sneakily be, like, the Houston year. Just because of like the microball small, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna like I'm gonna zag here. I'm gonna say the Houston year of Russell Westbrook. Cody sniffed it out. You nailed it. Hey, that, that is exactly where I was going. Russell Westbrook, typically about seven attempts per 36 at the rim, according to the way play-by-play stats partition. City has a couple years up at eight. He's always below league average. Um, like that is a consistent from 2009 
to 2018. He is below league average. So he's, he's shooting in the high 50s on these shots. Think about it that way. He gets there a lot for a guard. But what's so crazy is he goes to Houston and he's up at 11 per 36 because of all that spacing, because of the micro ball system that they were running. And to me, that just connects back to some of the other philosophical points we've talked about where it's like, if you play in a system that has more spacing, if you play with more shooters, um, if you have an environment with the coach and the players around you that allows you to get to the basket more, how much credit should we give you for that? Is that something that's always there and like, the team should be trying to unlock it or should we be again making these comparisons at a situation that's more apples to apples you got a guy in the dunker spot you got a couple shooters we have a pick and roll who do you trust to finish russell westbrook or john morant coming downhill wow i feel like you know i feel like if you're actually asking me i think i would say john morant like i feel like russell westbrook was a little less in con- like I feel like I've seen enough of Russell Westbrook not being able to take the you know turn on the brakes quickly enough and just kind of like slams it against the backboard and it goes off and I know I just said John Morant's a little bit out of control so maybe they're in the same sort of uh, area but I just felt like Westbrook was always just a little bit too fast like my my eye test memory which is like you know we can't trust that as far as we could spit really but it, it feels like it would be a little bit lower just based on the memories i have of him driving to the rim but at the same time to me don't you think drawing fouls is a huge part of the value here and westbrook is top 25 all time in free throw free throw rate in the playoffs free throw attempts per 100 so that like kamikaze-ness that you're picking up on is also probably more likely to draw fouls. I have no idea, by the way, off the top of my head, what Morant's free throw rate is. So I mean, it's, it's like it's like if Morant is taking a ton of free throws anyway, then, um, you know, leave him out of the conversation. But just the spirit of my question is about with Westbrook, how much do we incorporate the free throw thing? It's like your rim protector stat, Cody. Once you start adding in the all-important fouls, it changes things, and I feel like with Russ, you know, I feel like some of these guys, the fact that they show up on the field goal attempt leaderboard and the free throw attempt leaderboard, to me, that's like, okay, you're getting just a ton of value with the pressure you're putting on the hoop uh, when you go to finish. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think, I mean, this is what we were touching on right before we recorded. <laughs> it's for like, oh, oh. This is not as easy of a this question as like we kind of thought. There's like there's way too many baskets to consider. So like I, I don't know. I I didn't think about free throw attempts just a second ago, but you're absolutely right. Like if you're able to get to the basket, and I think this is going to come up at least in like the post up conversation a little bit l- later. But if people are just flying at you and sending you to the free throw line, like you know, I think that's super important. But Another guy that I think of when you say that, somebody that generates a lot of free throws, but the the actual percentages aren't great. And, you know, we saw that he struggled to finish and he probably had more highlights than he had like actual efficiency as somebody like Allen Iverson, right? Somebody mm. who's generating a ton of free throw attempts, but again, isn't like Tony Parker, who's like throwing up 67% at the rim. 
I, it's funny you mentioned Iverson. He's uh, just ahead of Westbrook. Very, very similar sort of multi-year peak playoff free throw rates. I happen to have that leaderboard up uh, on the corner of my screen. I just keep it. I should get it tattooed on my arm. That is like one of my favorite leaderboards in NBA history. What guys in the playoffs can strain defenses consistently over larger samples and draw fouls? And a lot of it connects to this conversation today about value uh, finishing at the basket and the best rim finishers, at least the way I think about the question. Iverson, by the way, one of those guys that in his era, rim finishing numbers were like mid, sometimes low 50s. So it's still a, you know, getting there is still a high value shot. But if you're taking six of those every 36 minutes and you're, you know, five or six percentage points below league average, you you fold that in with the free throw attempts. I, I think... I think I'd rather have a guard like Westbrook coming downhill, especially when you include the transition. I mean, go back to the Tony Parker thing. Like, he was so fast in transition. But all this is why we haven't even gotten to the big men yet. This is why it's so hard. I know. And then considering, like, Westbrook and Iverson, like, we're also talking about a size difference here where Iverson is, you know, was he, was he like, 180 even? Like, I feel like I remember him being, like, 165, 170, barely uh, six foot tall. Oh, yeah. Westbrook's bigger than that. He's stronger than that. He's vertically more athletic, at least like functionally in terms of driving uh, than that. So I think when you take those sorts of things and you look at some of these other proxies, I feel like you want to take somebody like Westbrook over over Iverson. Yeah, I- Iverson was like uh, 160 pounds or something. He was he was super, super small. I mean, he probably wasn't even six feet uh, in addition to that. So, um all right. Any other any other guys you want to mention? We can stay small because I'm going to get into some bigger slashers in a second. I'm just going by size here. There's some slashers that are big and they are scary. But any any other small guys you want to mention? Yeah. Let me get one pre 2000s small guy in here just just for the fun of it. Is he uh, how, is he in he, politics? His politics. No. Oh, yeah. I he think is, so. Right? It, he is. I think so. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Johnson. Yeah, the mayor. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my guy. I, for some yeah. reason, I was like Bill Bradley. I'm like Bill Bradley. Like, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think we're going to be bringing him up, him up, but yes, Kevin Johnson. Yeah, go ahead, riff. I, I I love some old KJ. So, like, my introduction to him was like one of my brother's old like '90s VHS like dunk videos. And I remember there's like highlights and there's like Robert Pack and stuff in there. And there's some Kevin Johnson highlights. And I just remember seeing that and, you know, youngster like me watching that and be like, I'm going to be somebody who's around six foot and dunking on people, too. And so that was kind of my introduction to it. But then you actually go, you watch like 93 finals or something like that. Even like 1990, I think he, he his prime was probably or his athletic prime was probably around that time, too. Just a, you know, really quick crossover, a great first step, able to get to the rim, can rise up over some people. Um, but again, this is one of those guys that like, there isn't the play by play types of stats. So I don't know if my memory of his, like athleticism and like fiery explosive dunks kind of clouds it all. But, uh, he's someone that can't, comes up in my mind as like a shorter player that can get to the rim and finish well. All right. Let me give you another sort of pre 2000 play technically played in the two thousands, but it was, it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't, it wasn't the real deal. Let's put it that way. Hmm. Uh, what about Penny Hardaway? Oh wow. Yeah. Penny Hardaway yeah. is is one of those guys that he uses his size mm-hmm. and you know, he could dunk on you occasionally, he could finger roll on you, he could spin it in, he could reverse layup. Um got to the free throw line a good amount, not quite as much as the Iverson Westbrook. If you look at the playoff peak numbers, he's like 
a, a free throw and a half, something like that, less per 75 possessions. Uh, so maybe like down a notch from that. But I think that's another guard. Of course, he's big. He's like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, mm-hmm. six, but that would be another guard that I would think of from pre-2000 times that um, would be interesting if we had the actual numbers. I know the model that I generated is very high on his actual efficiency at the basket, and it thinks he's taking a good number of shots at the basket, like seven and a half per 75 possessions at like 65 or 66%. Uh, And that model sometimes can be off by a few percentage points and um, it can be off by, you know, estimating the volume, but he's a guy that jumps out to me as someone who could be in this conversation as well. I mean, that makes sense. He is another guy that has a pretty tight handle. Um, I don't remember. I think maybe you were looking at some footage more recently, but I think in terms of like John Morant, Kevin Johnson, I don't know if his first step was quite as explosive as theirs, but then just like the size is incredible. He could kind of put his back to the basket and make some moves that way, just being able to take off and being that tall. So I feel like the height aspect of it and the length aspect of it really helped him out as a point guard. All right, before we move on to some of these other components that we talked about, there are slashers that are bigger. Uh, wings and forwards. And one other thing that I don't know what position he is or how to describe him. It could be a point guard. It could be a power forward. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll just start by throwing out a guy that will probably essentially disqualify because I think we're going to stick to post three-point era. But I mean, Julius Irving, mm-hmm. when you just think of the turn and face and take a couple dribbles and swoop in with the hands and again, putting pressure on the basket so you get a ton of free throws in those situations or you get these high percentage shots or Cody in you know, your case, you called it out at the beginning of the show, he misses and gets his own rebound or he comes in and grabs a rebound and puts it home because he's just so big. Like ABA Dr. J with the nets and the and the paneling and the stars down the side of the jersey and the three-colored ball. I mean, I mean mm, can we stop the show and just have a celebration of it? I think like... Even even from a modern lens, like I feel like you can sometimes go back and you watch old games. You're like, eh, the, the aesthetics of this just a little bit too slow from here. Like I want a little bit more more action going on. But legitimately, you go back and watch some of those like ABA games with young Dr. J in the spacing of the ABA, especially when he was allowed to play at the four. Man, I mean, the fluidity of his movements, the ability for him to grab those offensive rebounds when he's in transition and his fro is like at the rim. And he's just like throwing down on on Bill Walton. I know that wasn't the ABA. I'm, I'm I'm I get it. I know I'm combining a bunch of different eras, but it it really was like mind blowing. It is still mind blowing to watch somebody like move like that. So that's a guy that like if you told me that his numbers were off the charts, I'd be like, yep, that makes a lot of sense. Especially especially with the hands, Ben. I think the hands in this conversation are a really big part of it because you know, like Michael Jordan, I think he was the initial like monstrous hands dude that like he can just like palm it like a golf ball. Oh, we'll get to Michael Jordan. We'll get to him in a second. Who? Michael Jordan. He always has his day in the sun. And today, I don't know if we're going to put him in the sun or like what's one of those places where you grow plants that kind of get some sun. Uh, A greenhouse. Yeah, greenhouse. An an arboretum? Uh, That's what I was thinking. I was thinking of a more Latin fancy word. Um, What's a solarium? Is a solarium? That's a sunroom, isn't it? Is it? Is that you just like sit there and get the sun? Yeah, that's from the Latin sol or something for the sun. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> I Grand Hill reminds oh, me of, yeah, wow. take the Julius Irving, bring it bring it forward 20 years. We don't have the official numbers on Grant Hill, 
Um, the model that I built doesn't look at him as like some sort of super outlier, but it's interesting because the numbers we do have on lower volume when he was like later in his career, all the post-injury stuff when he rebuilt himself, really, really efficient. And I just think the slashing, getting to the basket, getting to the free throw line, the crossover, the first step, the size, the blur, the explosiveness. I mean, his hands, you talked about hands, his hands weren't small. Um, just another guy I want to throw out there in this vein, in this conversation before we before we get to some real heavy hitters. Oh, let me, let me give you one more as well. Oh, yeah. Yes, I would like to give you an honorary Milwaukee Buck shout out to Marcus Johnson. Who was who was a heck of a slasher and probably could hold his own finishing around the hoop as well. And all of these guys in this vein, I think, really come up to me when I think about rim finishing and putting pressure on the goal as a big forward. That's another that's another hands guy. I think I, I think I have a clip. I think it's Daryl Dawkins, where there's this rebound where the ball goes up and he's like trying to box out Daryl Dawkins and he goes up and like one hand snatches it, but not just one hand snatches it. While he's doing it, he's like holding his arm out and waving it away to like keep it away from Dawkins. It's it's maybe the most aesthetic defensive rebound I've I've ever seen watching basketball. So I I tweeted it and he responded and he was like, "Yeah, I had to do that to keep it away from from Dawkins." So, and I don't know. That was I think that's an interesting like hand thing. I think hand size is really fascinating. Yeah. He's got he's got big hands. What a great great call on the game. Great Twitter account. Was he old school 88? Does that sound right? Uh, we'll play guess, right. we'll play guess that number another time. Um I don't know where the 88 would come from, but Marcus Johnson, just to, to put a, a, a bow on this, the model loves him, Cody. The model says, you shoot a lot at the basket, you get a lot to the basket, and you're really effective. You're like 65, 66% at your peak. That's about five to eight percentage points ahead of the league. Um, you know, I, I just think if we're, if we're trying to make a list, I think he's got to be on the radar somewhere those few years where it was just peak Marcus Johnson, um, didn't quite generate the free throw attempts. So maybe that's a concern, but another pre-2000s, pre-90s guy. Well, yeah, yeah. One comment, one final comment from Marcus Johnson that I think helps him out a bit is I think uh, if you try and go back and figure out the origins of the point forward, uh, there's a lot of different stories, but Marcus Johnson's one of the names that's, that's thrown out there. So I think the fact that he's like a solid little ball handling four, I just don't think his era knew how to handle that. So I think he was able to blow by bigger guys and was just bigger than smaller guys that were trying to stay in front of him. So I think his his ability to be above the curve, above above the curve, ahead of the curve, <laughs> curb, curve? I don't know why I'd want to be ahead of a curb, but uh, ahead of the curve, I think that was part of his, his success as well. You know who had uh, similar numbers in this model to Marcus Johnson, uh, a 1980s player you may have heard of. Is it uh, Dominique Wilkins? It's Michael Jordan. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, the thing with him, the strength, the core strength, the hands, the flying, the getting up and twisting and reversing, you already cited the, t- the tongue. Yeah, that didn't play that well on, on YouTube. You're, that, was a, that was a strange tongue gesture. They, you, they got it. Yeah, no, I, I know they like, got I, it. I'm just saying. No. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, You're welcome, everybody. Fun one. Yeah. So the other thing is when we talk about guards generating free throws in this situation, Jordan is even better than Westbrook. He's even better than Iverson. Um, you know, is there anyone ever as a guard better than Jordan at drawing free throws against elite competition in the postseason? 
There's one player. Is it Dwayne Wade? That's the player. Hey. What, what would you like to do with Dwayne Wade in this conversation? Is I mean, he was amazing getting to the rim. I think, okay, I don't know if the, I'm allowed to say somebody's better at Jordan than something, but did he, have, did he have a faster first step than Jordan? I think for me, like if you eliminate all the little teeny, teeny guards, because you know Wade's, let's call him 6'4", and Jordan's 6'6", yeah. six, uh, I think those two guys had the fastest first step. I would throw David Thompson, peak David Thompson, mm. in there as well. But yeah, I mean, it was it was extraordinary. I think I think maybe you could say peak Wade's first step was faster than most of 90s Jordan first okay. step, but like younger Jordan's first step could have been faster than than young Wade's first step because that thing was it looked like he got shot out of a cannon sometime. <laughs> I, I feel like younger Jordan was a little bit. Uh, well, I guess those free throw numbers are those are those 80s or did he generate some of the best postseason free throw stuff when it was like 90, 91, or was it closer to like eighty eight? I, I think yeah, I think off the top of my head it was late eighties, early nineties. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think I mean the other years were good too, but I think the the peak ones are from that period. It yeah. feels like that he needed to get a little bit more under control because I think he was a little bit crazy with his drives and uh, you know I think you have like the the famous shots, the switching hands against the Lakers one, the Nets, the aforementioned Nets one. I think he has that Pistons one where he's in transition and he like goes up around uh, Bill Lambeer and he like turns 180 and throws it over him. I feel yeah. like those are all a little bit later in the 80s. Just like like you said, the body control is just unbelievable with Jordan. Yeah, I think that's 89 game six or something like that near, near the end of that series. Um, Dwayne Wade. Really, really good numbers as well at the rim. We have the actual numbers from 2006 to 2014. He's between basically 66 and 69% every year. In 2013, he actually gets up uh, to 69.6%. And the other thing is, statistically, we, we alluded to this earlier, a lot of these guys, they don't have high uh, assisted field goals at the basket because it's them finding a way to charge to the hoop and carve their way to the rim. And um, he's taken like six, seven shots per 36 at the rim. That's well ahead of league average, which is just phenomenal for a guard. I already said, if you look at playoff peak free throw attempts, he is the highest in the history of the data for a guard. Um, And that basically means the history of the league. So it's like, yeah, I mean, is Dwayne Wade sort of the, the king of this category for guards? Yeah, I, I kind of think so. I mean, unless we're we're, are you saying even over Jordan? I think Jordan and him are the are the two guys. Okay. But yeah, like, I don't think that. It's just so what Wade has is just so impressive. It's just again hands, right? Jordan had yep. bigger hands, um, but Wade can do stuff with the ball. You know, you mentioned Jordan uh, out in transition against Bill Lambier. He gets the steal. He runs the other way. He hops. I think, you know, with some of these guys that are finishing, you have to think about the the jump takeoffs and mm-hmm. sort of one foot versus two foot. On Jordan Jordan's play there, he hops and then spins off two feet and throws it over his head because now he's facing the other direction. Wade has a play against the Pistons in 2005. One of my favorite photos in NBA history where he comes down the lane. He's moving right to left across the lane. I want to say jumps off his left leg. So it's one footed, gets up in the air and someone kind of like clips him. And then he starts twisting toward the other end of the arena. And there's a still photo of him like with the ball extended out in his right arm. 
not even looking at the basket, like six feet off the ground, suspended in the air. He makes that shot. He flips it in uh, with a little English or something. So uh, yeah, those those two would be the the two for me in this class. You know, that's that's a conversation. And how are, are we already like an hour and a half into this? Like, I I don't understand how we're talking about this. For I thought this would be like a ten minute episode. We'd be in and out. It'd be great. But the the takeoff ability. I think we may have mentioned it like a while ago, but I think the diversity and attack and the way that you take off from the ground, like can you jump from your right foot, from your left foot, from both feet, are you able to like in a split second decide if you're going to go over someone or around someone or pivot or whatever else? And I think like he's not there yet, but I feel like I see some of these elements with Anthony Edwards where oh, he's like oh, in yeah. the last second is able to be like. I'm going to use my hyper-athleticism to jump, jump off the left to go around this guy in this way. Uh, so he's he's not there, but I think he has the the skills to do it. And Dwayne Wade, like you said, can go off two, has the Euro step, and can go off one. And, you know, that sort of attack is super valuable when it comes to your finishing ability. Well, I have, I have a couple big names. Um, I mean, we, we're talking this through because it's complex. Now, we may be the only two people listening to ourselves talking at this point. Maybe everyone else has, has checked out. Um, <laughs> but, well, no. The crowd that likes to hear us just say old names is here. Shout out to the Terry Porter fans. Oh but um, poor Terry's not going to make it. Would you put Clyde Drexler in this? I mean, he's Clyde the Glide, but I, I just know, don't man. feel like he has the... I mean, we're just talking about like rarefied air with the last couple guards we we mentioned. I don't think he has that, um, you know, the different versatility and the touch around the hoop and all that stuff. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Dominique. I think I think Dominique same would probably thing. be yeah. around the same thing as Clyde. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Who are the heavy hitters you're talking about? Well, just to say on Dominique, you know, so much power with dunking and so much two footed jumping, and I, again, I think someone who could get to the free throw line quite a bit in those situations, but Dominique even off ball, like I would think of Dominique's finishing as being really good off ball and pretty good as a slasher because some of that footwork and agility and touch were missing, you know, the left hand, right hand, high off the glass, a uh, scoop underneath, quick release, all that kind of stuff I think is missing for Dominique. So I would, I would think of him as good here, but not at the same category as those other guys. Now we jump to the nuclear weapons of slashing. These fellows are a little bit bigger. Um, so I'll just throw Giannis out there. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about him in many capacities, and I think we will. The one I really want to get to, a second guy that we'll talk about in many capacities, is LeBron James, an enormous human being. And then is he a point guard? Is he a center? What's going on? Like Zion Williamson. Mm. Oh my goodness, Cody. If you pull up the highest volume rim attempts in NBA history per possession, per minute, whatever you want to do, I have it in a Zion video. I, I don't remember if it's the first Zion video or uh, how many Zion videos I've done at this point. It's all a blur. <laughs> the last five years are all a blur. But literally, he is a dot. He's an island out by himself, taking like 14 shots at the rim per 36 minutes no one is even within a shot of that there's some of the other greats are up at 11 or 12 uh all you got to do is be 60 something percent on those shots and just the inability for teams to stop you and in his case we know he has the, the little touch with the left hand the flip off the glass the power dunk maybe a little lean and floater finger roll spin move there's a lot going on that makes it so hard to keep that like 
bowling ball Thanos of a human being out of the paint. I think the only thing that holds him back is just, you know, playing time. Like if we had see if we see a bigger sample size, if we see even the playoffs being able to do it, I'd be happy to put him up here because the numbers are bonkers. And I think in terms of like I was saying it a little bit earlier about like Tony Parker. Uh, some of those kinds of guys, he's going to be able to finish off his drives, right? And maybe he can get a cut and get a finish that way. Zion kind of has all of the package. Like, Point Zion can take someone off the dribble. Point Zion can dribble in the pick and roll and take it to the ho- hoop and finish. Uh, he can be the screener and roll to the basket and be a lob threat or a roll threat. Mm. He can be an offensive rebounding threat. I can't think of his offensive rebounding numbers off the top of my head, but uh, it being, you know, modern day basketball, I don't necessarily know if he's adding a ton of value that way. But this is a guy that no matter what element of finishing you have, uh, he, he's he's going to be able to do it pretty much better than any anyone else. And maybe his height holds him back from beating like actual lob threats from being that good. But every other component of being a finisher, he's absolutely got it. Yeah, he and LeBron um, both check a ton of boxes for me when you think about finishing. I mean, if you get Zion on a little back cut, if you get him on a handoff coming downhill, any of that kind of role man that you mentioned, like any of that kind of off-ball stuff. And in LeBron's case, I think LeBron has transition. I think he has slashing. He gets it just like all these guards. He gets it on pick and roll. He gets it in isolation. He can set up in the pinch post and spin and you know then he takes two strides and he's like a freight train coming downhill the cutting uh very good powerful cutter and he gets a little space and and runs into that space and that's just devastating because he can change directions but he's so big and he's so strong and he's so um you know, I'll jump over you. I'll dunk on you when you're younger. Uh, he, he had that twisting little layup where he liked to use the right hand on the left side of the basket. There's just a lot going on there in his case that I think makes him elite in, in multiple categories. I'm trying to pull it up right now because I thought I thought the thing that blows my mind with him here, and I know we're not doing like a career sort of retrospective here, but I thought if you look at some of his rim finishing like volume and efficiency, <laughs> it's basically unchanged for every two-year pe- like period from when he was like, let's say 2008, 2009, all the way to the most recent seasons. And I know the league changed a little bit since then. We go into pace and space a little bit more, and he's able to operate as he ages, and he ages gracefully into that. So I don't think it's like showing that he's the exact same kind of finisher that he was when he was younger, but it is mind-blowing to see somebody who's in his mid-30s that's still ba- that's still like adding a ton of value with the, the volume and the efficiency with his finishing ability. Yeah, you know, relative to the league... Once he got to Los Angeles, the numbers got a little more pedestrian. I say a little more because they're still like near the top of the league. But at his peak, I mean, we're talking six to seven attempts per 36 at like 14, 16, 17% ahead of the league. The man in his last season in Miami shot 78.5% at the rim, according to the play-by-play stats. And oh, by the way, by the way... Uh, he is third all-time in free throw attempt rate in the playoffs, that stat I cited earlier. The only two guys ahead of him uh, we're going to talk about are Shaquille O'Neal, who gets a little bit of boost in that category, Cody, from the Hackashack, mm-hmm. and Dwight Howard, who also gets a boost in that category from the Hackashack. Uh, I like the fact that I'm not, I'm not calling it Hack-a-Dwight. It is Hackashack. <laughs> 
he is the originator of that. He gets credit for it. But that blows me away because it's like those two guys, as great as they are, as many free throw attempts as they generate, Shaq is like a little bit of an outlier because of the, the intentional fouling. Um, but for LeBron to be up near those guys or level with those guys when you remove intentional free throws, to me, just says how insane the whole thing is. Yeah, and I think the heat days especially is when I think he was able to more prominently showcase his post-up ability, and I think that added the the added level. Because like even like 2009, um, when you just have like the blur of the man he was, especially in transition, I think he was definitely adding value with his transition attack and his speed and athleticism there. Man, there's still one dunk. It must have been 2008. I think it was in the half court, the final minute of like a Bulls what's, game. What's happening? We let we unleashed Cody. He's just talking about old LeBron dunks. Let's, Lou all day. <laughs> let's standing, move on. Standing at the nail, watching LeBron say, I remember watching that so clear. It's one of my favorite dunks. It's not anything like that special, but like that's the sort of thing that, man, young LeBron was special. Okay, so I think now we have to talk about the big men and like what figure out. Hold up. There's hold more? Up. What? Wait a second. Are we, are we, two things. Well, there's one guy I want to bring up. And number two, are we just, we're just going to assume everyone knows Giannis is a great finisher? We're, he's a big man. We're going to talk about him. Oh, okay. How about, yeah. okay, let me throw out one more slasher. One more slasher, just okay. because I think his numbers are pretty impressive. Uh, Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant. I don't think he has the volume. He's not the volume monster of these guys. I'm, but I'm, I think. Ke- oh, oh, I'm, oh. I'm, meh. I'm, I'm making the meh face with the rest what? of the audience. Why are you meh? What? Yeah. What? No. Yeah. Go ahead. Is it because of volume? Is that the issue? I think that's a pretty big deal. Yes. That's a, that is, I actually think this is a weakness of Kevin Durant's. And specifically, I noticed this during his Greatest Peaks video, he does not take what I call the gap dribble. So when he feels pressure, he picks up his dribble and he kicks it out. So as a result, you really don't get a lot of basket pressure relative to the other players we're talking about. And he's getting his stuff on easy situations when he has a ton of space to work with or in transition, that's why his volume's so low. For perspective, we're talking about like four attempts per 36 at his peak, but to your point, Cody, like very, very high efficiency on those shots. Okay. That's all. I just wanted to shout him out just yeah. for the, the Durant heads out there, the Durant heads who are like, hey, how about you shout out the Kendrick Perkins dunk? Wait, was it Kendrick Perkins? Yeah, but now they're mad at me for downplaying the like, look, you know, who did he He's thrown me under was, the bus. Was that Tyson Chandler? Let's move on. The big, <laughs> big, big people. Um, there's a couple big people we need to fold into this conversation and sort out. I'll start with just the hardest one, which is an old person. Um, well, not that. No, I don't mean that he's like an old. I mean he's an old player. I'm not. He played in a previous era. I, I'm not trying to use any pejorative terms. Um, Charles Barkley. Mm. this man could mm. do stuff near the basket. Yeah. I, I don't always know what it was, but it was powerful and it was effective and he's grabbing rebounds and dunking them, you know, off drop steps. Great, great, powerful two foot jumper had these long arms found little ways to score. I mean, I don't know how much you want to count at the basket versus like that shot was actually from six feet when Barkley posted up and turned and spun it off the glass. But uh, he's certainly someone who plays near the hoop, who has this post-up power game. I don't know what to do with these players. Do you think anyone in history has benefited from legal defense more than Barkley? <laughs> Mark, I, ja- even Mark Jackson. Mean. Mark Jackson. Oh, that, that's, that's actually a really good call. I think Barkley, too, the offensive rebounding aspect of it, too, 
is that he was just a terror on the glass. And I think that helped him, you know, get amongst the trees and finish. I just feel like it's weird because I see the percentages and they're they're off the charts, right? Like some of the the numbers that you see with his his even just like raw field goal percentage, he was pretty incredible, especially in like the late '80s. But I just feel like against playoff defenses, I felt mm. like he struggled against like taller, stingier defenses in the paint. And maybe I'm wrong about it. Like they made a couple of good runs in the playoffs, and his numbers always looked solid. But that's just my memory of like what I recall like mapping in my head when I was watching him. So I, I don't know what to do about Barkley. I don't know. How do you feel about Shaq? I mean, Jack's right up there. Like teams just like built up big dudes to to absorb absorb fouls. I think the difference. I think the difference between Barkley and Shaq is that Shaq off ball is such a target, uh, both as a lob threat, but also the space he ate up with his seals, sealing the defender on his back and getting position near the hoop, and then the athleticism to spin, turn, drop step. Of course, Shaq had that crazy power drop step um it connects there's a there's a connection between what he does off ball and what he does when he gets to the ball everything feels like it's within six feet for Shaq and then I believe I believe Cody he was measured I mean way back in the day who knows what these measurements were but like 1992 draft measurement kind of thing seven seven wingspan something like that so he's catching and turning and um, so many of those Orlando Shaq dunks with his tongue out when he's leaning over and dunking on someone and trying to rip the rim right out of the backboard, which he, he probably did. Poor Ahmad Rashad got a, a front row seat to that one time on Inside Stuff. That's a deep cut for the NBA on NBC heads out there. That's actually It's actually kind of a scary clip. Like It is a little scary, it, yeah. You're like, I'm surprised Shaq didn't honestly hurt himself on that. Yeah. Yeah, but Shaq could stand at the edge of a pool and do a backflip into the pool, which always blew me away for someone who was seven feet, 300 pounds. So maybe Something it wasn't... tells me that 2001 Shaq couldn't do that. No, this is 90s Shaq, <laughs> Cody. This is this is young Shaq. Um, but I mean, all this to me opens up questions about what do you what do you do with these guys? The value for Shaq's rim finishing must be off the charts. And I think someone like Dwight Howard has some... Similar things going on. Dwight is a role man, a lob target, an offensive rebounder, a deep post catch guy. Um, obviously, these are guys that when you are a guard or when something else happens in the possession that breaks down the defense and you pass it to these players to finish, it's like, okay, I could pass it to Brian Scalabrini. I could pass it to Stephen Hunter or Stephen Adams or... Uh, Dwight Howard or Shaquille O'Neal, like the, like all of a sudden the value goes way up when it's Shaquille O'Neal or Dwight Howard at the end of the chain that you're laying it down to. I feel like uh, with Shaq, like the more developed post game maybe helped him with that. And I know some of his like jump hooks were getting out to like the eight feet, seven feet sort of territory. But I do think that whole package of his sort of creates more of an imbalance for the defense because they have to send a little bit more help. Like, you can't necessarily play Shaq with just, like, a normal, all right, man, you single coverage him, the rest of us are just going to stay stay at home and our guys, like, you're good, right? Like, you go to 2004 Pistons, and, like, all of the Pistons are touching the paint whenever Shaq has the ball. So I feel like the, like we talked about with Curry uh, back in one of the GOAT episodes, right? Like, Curry, what, let me try talking <laughs> just... Curry, <laughs> Curry has so much, like, 
out of the perimeter of gravity and Shaq has like that equal inside the perimeter of gravity and I just Dwight Howard to me never quite had that and I feel like that sort of like distortion of gravity uh gives Shaq the edge on this one do you want to know Dwight Howard's uh rim finishing numbers I assume they're solid they were around seven attempts per 36 and in a number of years in Orlando, like his peak years, 2008, 2009, 2010, he's about 13, you know, 13, 14% ahead of the league. Let's call it that. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Would you like to know Shaq's? Yes. Shaq, Shaq is, uh, we don't even have 90 Shaq. We don't have 2000 Shaq. But for what we have, Shaq is about 10 attempts per 36 at 15% ahead of the league back in his day. That was a measly 74%. Field goal. Don't forget, this was back when the score was like 73 to 67 at the end of the game. Shaq shooting 74% from near the basket. Philosophically, though, I wouldn't count those hook shots. It's it's a post up. You hook from six feet. It's a little too far away, I okay. think. Yes. Yeah. Fadeaways, hook shots. Um, Kareem's hook shot, things like that. I wouldn't I wouldn't really count all those. I think you got to be going to the basket, basically, okay. to to qualify here. I think that makes sense. Shaq was just bigger than Dwight Howard. I think Dwight Howard's like vertical athleticism has Shaq beat, especially in those Lakers times, but the strength and the size of Shaq is just on another level. All right. I want to throw out some role men, and then I think we have to... Are you even going to make an attempt to sort through these names? I mean, we can we can try to do it, but there's just a couple more I want to talk about, and then we can get out of here and feel good about ourselves. Um, I have two guys that I think are just probably the two best finishers in my oh, mind. Okay. All right. We'll make a list of two. Kind of like that time we did the top eight. Not for any... I mean, it wasn't like Cody had eight guys that he was comfortable with, and that's why we did the list that way. Uh, Amari Stoudemire, Carl mm-hmm. Malone, Blake Griffin, Anthony Davis, David Robinson. All of those guys as role men coming downhill, lob threats, finishing lay down passes you know your guards draw on a double team and he and he drops it off as he comes down the paint any of those names jump out to you as uh particularly valuable and exemplary in this conversation let me ask you something ben what do blake griffin carl malone and amari stoudemire have in common well they're all right-handed Let's look at the context of what they're playing. And what, what sort of contextual thing with their teammates feels fairly similar? Oh, oh, do you mean they all have one of those point guards that's really a point god? Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to separate that because, you know, these guys, especially like Amari Stoudemire, like I know some of his scoring in general is just really fantastic. Like it, it stacks up against like pretty much anyone in terms of, of volume and efficiency, I think especially in the regular season. But with like those kinds of guys... I, I don't know how you really separate just the incredible genius of the point guard and, and pick and roll actions that they were playing with. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, obviously, the the numbers are going to go down when you remove them from the court, and they do if you look at when they play on different teams or things like that. I just think you want – one of the components we talked about where you provide value here is as a role man or as a lob threat. We'll stick with these three role men. And, uh, I, I, I mean – Carl Malone's a bulldozer uh, for all the flack he gets about things that happen in the playoffs. We've talked about 
this free throw generating list. Shaq is one. Dwight Howard is two. LeBron James is three. Carmelo's fourth in the history of the NBA. So he's, he's, he's still a problem. Let's put it this way, Cody. He's still a problem. And that statement works perfectly for podcasting in 2023 because he's a problem because of those T-Rex finishes around the hoop. And he's also a problem because he's good. He's a problem in every, every direction you could take that even off the court. We'll move on. Um, I, yeah, I feel ahead. like with, with the guys you're talking about, just off the top of my head, knock out. I'm gonna I'm gonna push aside David Robinson and Anthony Davis for a second. It feels like Stoudemire is uh, is is a rung higher as a finisher than either Maloner or Griffin. How do you feel about I, that? I, I agree with that completely. Yeah. Okay. Agility, strength, hand yeah. size goes left or right, spin, dunk, um, just oh, so good. Yeah, I agree with that. This is a dumb comment, but I feel like his dunks were so easy. Just so easy. Like when he would finish, like you you remember the like the rim rocking dunks, but just like the amount of times that Nash would like dump it down to him and he was just like bah. like a quick little like Poof. like I really appreciate okay. that. Okay, but this is the thing. When Steven Hunter was in the game, you suddenly realize it's not easy for all big human beings who play professional basketball mm-hmm. to like catch it at let's say six feet and then somehow easily dunk it. And I feel this way about Anthony Davis, which is why I think to some degree Anthony Davis has to be in this conversation. I've called him the best lob finishing threat in the history of the league before, or certainly in that conversation. And last season, Anthony Davis played better and was healthier than we've seen in a couple years, probably since the 2020 bubble. And all of a sudden you're watching these games and whoever's running pick and roll with him, it doesn't matter if it's Reeves or Schroeder or LeBron or whatever. And... They throw it back to AD, and all of a sudden, it's just this monster, easy dunk. And I think the part of that we take for granted is that there's usually some 6'10 defender adjacent to him near the hoop who's going, I'm going to contest this or take a charge (laughs) or whatever. And 99% of other players in the league, they do in that situation. And then a guy like Anthony Davis, a guy like Shaq, a guy like Amari, they catch the ball in that spot. And they just are so explosive and so big. What's AD's wingspan? Seven and a half feet. They're just all of a sudden so high that the defender goes, well, what am I doing? I'm late. I'm going to be on a poster. And so to your point, like maybe we process that is look at all these easy open dunks. But I think there is an element of the player's finishing ability and explosiveness that makes it look so easy. And, And more importantly to this conversation, that's why when you go look up the numbers, Amari's rim finishing is, you know, 70% or so with Nash. Stephen Hunter's rim finishing, even though he gets to play with Nash, is not that same 70%. And it's the same thing with Anthony Davis or or uh, so on and so forth. I think the because I'm trying to directly compare now Amari Stoudemire and Anthony Davis. Part of it with like Stoudemire is like if you look at the entire pick and roll package, like in terms of pick and pop, pick and roll. I think the whole thing is probably better than Anthony Davis because, like, Stoudemire's jump shot was really nice. I think he's probably got a more complete scoring ability. But if we're just trying to isolate the rim finishing, I don't know. I think that's a I think that's a particularly tricky one. Part of me wants to lean Anthony Davis, but I don't know if I'm trying to correct against the fact that Amari Stoudemire stands out because of these other offensive skills, like the jump shooting prowess that he has. Yeah. To be fair to Stephen Hunter, he gets into the high 60s when he when he plays with Steve Nash. So it's not like he's a... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good for, good good for, for him. Yeah. Um, shall we attempt to 
nail this down. I, I was expecting you to make a real impassioned case for Steve Nash today. Honestly, I thought you were. I, I was saving him for you. were the one that made the video for him, so I thought uh, maybe he would come up for you. I have made a video on Steve Nash, yes, and his efficiency at the basket is absolutely absurd. But, you know, how much did he do in the shorter mid-range, the floater, the pull-up, the 12-footer, the 16-footer? I think that's that all blends together. I don't think there's a particular finishing attribute that gets him insane value even though to our point at the beginning about players like him and curry and Kyrie irving and guys like that like he's got great finishing tools around the hoop for his size that's a different thing than a defense having to deal with lebron james or Giannis Antetokounmpo turning the corner and coming downhill into space full speed the thing about steve nash is like the the unassisted layups that he gets yeah, and i think like compared to any like I think that part of his game is it, it doesn't even make sense. Like compared to pretty much anyone we've talked about, he generates so many unassisted layups comparatively as like a percentage of his shots that it like it, it doesn't make sense. But again, not like someone that's gonna grab offensive rebounds, not somebody that's gonna blow you away as a finisher in transition, somebody that's not gonna take a backdoor cut and throw down a lob. So I don't know. Probably probably not quite there, Ben. No. But the assisted thing is absolutely insane. Like yeah. the the number of unassisted shots and the performance of his isolation scoring, uh, yeah, yeah, we could. Phew, he, he's incredible. Um, okay, so are, are you going to make a list of three? What are we going to do? Can I one one more guy? Ben. Just one more guy. One more guy. Um, it's a player that we may have talked about before in the past. I don't know. I don't know if anyone's actually talked about him before. It's no one has time. ever talked about this player. Nope. I don't know if he's ever made any kind of a, a vocal presence on a podcast before. I genuinely um, have no idea who the, you The were. issue, Ben, is I might be conflating his short mid-range game. Uh, it's, it's a guy, I think his name is Nikola Jokic. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But again, yeah. the short mid-range, the floater game for him, he's probably the best floater finisher in Ever. history. Ever, yeah. And I don't know how much that's going into the rim aspect of it because he doesn't have the lob threat part of it, but, like, the grabbing his own rebounds and finishing, the touch around the basket. Him, like, I don't know, he's in a little delay action, <laughs> nothing's working, and then he's just like, all right, I'm just going to, like, keep pivoting back and forth until I'm at the basket and finish. Like, it's not, it's not, like, pretty in terms of, like, an Amari Stoudemire sort of thing, but in terms of, like, the effectiveness that we're talking about, I feel like he's, like, got to be mentioned. I actually, I think it's a good point. I do think a ton of it is probably pulling in the short mid-range stuff. Mm -hmm. um, who do you think is a better rim finisher, him or Embiid? Oh, I feel that's like that's Jokic. Joel Embiid because Cody. I, yeah. Just just so everyone's clear, Cody said that uh, Nikola Jokic has never been mentioned on a podcast by anyone. So I just want every, it's Philadelphia 76ers center Joel Embiid. <laughs> Dude, are we like contractually obligated Not to bring Joel up the Embiid. other? But <laughs> I feel like this is a shot at someone that I don't. I didn't say that, right? This no, isn't a shot there are a lot of people that call him that, and I just let's move on. That's um, too bad. But I, I think, I mean, I think Jokic is a better finisher than Embiid at the rim. At the rim, yeah. you think Jokic is a better finisher than Embiid? I, I think so. That's very interesting. Am I wrong? Uh well, make the case. Make the case. Well. Again, like the creation aspect of it, like things don't really work out 
and I think it's like a last minute. I'm just going to kind of contort myself and twist there. He's able to score. A, B, I think the offensive rebound efficiency he has, I don't think Embiid really brings a lot of that value to the court. I actually think there's been some really interesting Mm. like rebounding numbers I've been looking at where, interestingly, the 76ers grab like significantly fewer rebounds when Embiid's on the court versus when he's off the court. And I think that takes away from his finishing thing because he's always stationed so far away from the basket. Um, the touch, I just think Jokic's touch is better around the rim. Uh, again, this is all just kind of like going off vibes from what I've seen. I guess those free throw or the, the offensive rebound numbers are, are some statistical things, but I don't know. My hunch is Jokic in this one. Uh, Embiid has better numbers in terms mm-hmm. of the, the volume is a little bit higher and the efficiency is a little bit higher around the basket the last couple of years. Although Jokic's efficiency in 2023 was 75%, which is right around where Embiid's was. And then Embiid gets to the free throw line more, certainly in the playoffs. He's actually number six on that list um, behind what we mentioned Carl Malone and Giannis and Embiid is the order of those top six. So I think the thing with Embiid is he is more difficult as a role man coming downhill to stop without fouling or getting dunked on. Uh, I think he is kind of like a bolt in a china shop when he gets it right under the hoop. Whereas Jokic, I think Jokic, he goes back to your point about the short mid-range. I think he has to rely on like, I'm going to twist and fade or I'm going to throw this hook up from five feet. You know, like, yes, the hook does not touch the rim. I don't know. Has anyone done more swishes? Can we add swishes to the play-by-play, Cody? <laughs> so, so for those who don't know, NBA play-by-play over the years has added more things. Like they'll add that it's like a step back. They'll be like step back 17-footer by James Harden. So you get a little extra contextual data to some of the shots. I would like to add swishes because I want to know who has the most swishes and it. I already know it's Nikola Jokic. Okay. Yeah, like but that. Embiid, uh, I, I I think I would go with him okay. for rim finishing. The free throws are... That's a pretty. That's a pretty. Solid he's just case. a bear around the basket. Grabs an offensive glass uh, rebound. It's just he's, he's he's dunking it half the time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Am I being yeah. dense? Am I missing? No, am I, forgetting I think I'm, something? I think I'm. I'm factoring in the short mid range too much. I yeah. think I really think that's where I'm going wrong with Jokic. Is I think I'm tying in tying in the whole post game repertoire. So okay, I don't know. Did we talk about Giannis at all? Well, we're going to talk about him now because I think he's okay. going to be on your on your list um, of two. I, I didn't. I didn't hear you. <laughs> I didn't hear you mention David Robinson, who I, I it's like a seriously amazing finisher. What what do you how do you feel about him? Um I I don't know. I think he, you just touched on it. I think well, he's right there. There's some right? similarities with Giannis, right? Like he wants to go to the elbow and face up or get to about fourteen to seventeen feet away and face up against a big man and then use that crazy quickness for a guy his size, and then he's so athletic, he's getting fouled. I don't think people realize how much David Robinson got fouled driving to or trying to finish around the basket. He could be a lob finisher. He could be a roll finisher, offensive glass in transition and get out and dunk on you. Like, I feel like, I feel like there's some similarities between Giannis's case and his overall package as a finisher and David Robinson's Giannis is a better slasher. I think coming from the outside, I was going to say, don't you think like taking it all, together that Giannis is significantly better at finishing than Robinson? Like, I don't know if, I don't know if was, I'd go with significantly. I don't know. Maybe. 
Because, why? Because David Robinson had a jumper and Giannis did not, and yet Giannis well, oh. still has like more efficiency than him. I think that's a good point. So I think this is my whole thing: is Giannis yeah. like, despite like you want him to do this offensive yeah, thing, yeah. like entire defenses just have to be like, well, we just have to not let him be near the rim ever. We can't let him go into transition. Um, I don't know, man. I think like the ability to go into a finals game and go like, I'm going to go to the line 18 times. I'm yeah. going to score 50 points, and most of them are going to be at the rim. Uh, I know that's like a one-game sample thing, but like, I think Giannis is pretty special when you take it all into account. Okay, all right, I buy that. Yeah. I don't. I totally buy that. Um, yeah. Are you gonna? What? Yeah. Go ahead. Finish the show. Okay. I mean, my list is two people. My list is two people, and someone like sitting in the in the on the bench who needs to like be called in. I, th- I think it's simple. To me, it's LeBron James number one and Giannis Antetokounmpo number two. Where, where's Where's Zion Williamson? He's on the bench. <laughs> he, 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 I need a little bit more. Ben, how many playoff minutes does Zion have? Well, I don't think it's reasonable to believe. I don't know if we have any evidence to believe that when you get to the postseason, Zion is going to have a hard time finishing at the basket, even if the numbers go down a little bit, even if they build a wall around him, et cetera, et cetera. Like... I think the I think the translation in this category is still probably good enough. Um, maybe that's an interesting thing to research. Maybe maybe the next you know area we need to research is the translation between this kind of rim pressure, this kind of free throw attempt, sort of interior scoring uh, translation between the regular season and the playoffs. I don't know, uh, but it feels like Zion should be in that group to me again maybe just based on vibes but like cody the dude the dudes it's like 15 shots a game at the basket doesn't even make sense 2020 he played 24 games (laughs) 2023 he played 29 games 2021 he played 61 games i i'm just i'm not comfortable putting him there yet i'm just not all right. Call, call me call me a weenie, Ben. Wait, call me a, a raining on parade kind of guy. Weenie. Whatever, a party pooper. I don't care what you call me. I'm, I'm just not I'm not ready, Ben. I'm not ready. I was not ready for this level of 80s insults that just came out of your mouth. Um, That's what happens when you go back and watch like old Marcus Johnson. Like you just get with, hit with the times. Hold like, on. Totally tubular? Was tubular an <laughs> 80s thing? Hold on. My little earlier? Yeah. Okay. No, that you're, you're right about that. I, I think there's one more name here in this super group. That's just that's conspicuously missing right now. Oh my god. Just conspicuously me... missing. How is Shaquille um, O'Neal not in that group? Can you Because yeah, because he doesn't dribble from the up? outside. Yeah. Yeah. Can you put a post up guy in the this group? Um, I'm not sure anyone is better finishing when they get the ball near the hoop ever. So make it that what you will. So like he has to get the ball near the hoop, though. He does, like, yeah. I feel like that kind of, sort of, has to count for something, especially, like, Giannis and LeBron, who, like, the post-up game isn't even close when it comes to Shaq, but, like, everything else, like, even the transition part of it, especially if we're talking, like, 2001 Shaq, he's not, like, the wrecking ball on in transition that, that LeBron and Giannis bring. So I feel like you bring in all of those elements. I, I think they're on another level. Man, I have a hard time sorting out between these guys, but LeBron and Zion and Giannis and Shaq and these sort of mega players, I think you could put them in their own kind of group, but I'm not sure I could take any of those guys in particular out. Um, I don't know, Cody. I don't know. What's your favorite in-game dunk in NBA history? 
favorite in-game dunk in NBA history? I don't know. I've never thought about that. Okay. Uh, I did like when Sean Kemp, mm. when she, what, who did he do that on? Alton Lister? Yeah. Yeah. I did enjoy I was that one. I Leighton Meester, but I think that's a <laughs> Gossip Girls actress. I don't think... I don't think that's what I'm talking about. I did. I did like that one. Um, I oh, you know what one I like? I like Scottie Pippen on Patrick Ewing in the playoffs mm-hmm. in '94 yeah. with the little shove and the step over. I enjoyed that one. Um, does Vince Carter count in the Olympics? Oh, the that's not NBA. Death. You asked me NBA. Yeah, that still might as well count. That's pretty sick. That's it's not NBA. Yeah. What about you? What's your favorite? DeAndre Jordan poster on Brandon Knight. <laughs> I think, li- listen, here, we're going to set the stage on this one because the lob, my favorite part of the whole thing is Brandon Knight being like six feet. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to rotate over and contest DeAndre Jordan lobbing and throwing it down. And Brandon Knight's hand is like at the rim. And at a certain camera angle, DeAndre Jordan's head is at the rim. So it's like this weird thing where it's like, I don't know what he was thinking. And then after the dunk is completed, Brandon Knight stays on the ground. There's like a stoppage of play because there's a foul. Everybody's making a face. I think Blake Griffin comes and just like hugs him. It's just the whole production of the whole thing is incredible. And I think like it's the closest to like a player wanting to just like sink into the floor that has ever happened in an NBA game. Boy. Yeah. Now you got me thinking about the best in-game dunk. I've never thought about this. I don't know. Yeah, the DeAndre, that, that, that Jordan one is nice. I don't yeah. know. I like Michael Jordan when he's playing the Knicks and he goes on the baseline and he spins one way and he spins the other way and then he says hello to Patrick Ewing and he just keeps oh, yeah. going. And the thing I love about that is that when Jordan finishes the dunk, he gets the front rim and he pulls it down a little bit. Yes. That was a great touch. You get the hand the hand eye coordination is still there to just squeeze that rim and pull it down a little <laughs> bit after that dunk. So He's um, up there too. He's like near looking at the rim. Like when he's at the apex of that jump, like I think he gets, yeah, I think he gets the Chambers boost. I think he hit, I think he hit Ewing and got a little Chambers boost. Uh, Tom Chambers, of course, on Mark Jackson, one of the all-time greats. Let's end the show. Yeah, (laughs) I think we should just talk about dunks for for to to support this show. Check out Patreon.com/slash Thinking Basketball. That's the best way to support us directly. Um, we got all kinds of extra historical stats and things like that over there. We have a discord community and a ton more. Thanks as always for listening all the way through. Hope you enjoyed this one next week. We will be back with the NBA 2024 season preview. Looking forward to that. So, uh, hope you're enjoying the preseason and getting excited. And of course that you are having a great 